coming up on this episode of You're Invited. But I remember standing next to him and telling him that he's better than me. Poems, anything, he's better than me. I'm good at certain things, but he's an all-around kind of guy. Freaks, humor geeks, folks whose tongues are in their cheeks. Welcome to the Style Invitational. Misfits, wags and wits, folks who laugh at naughty bits. Here's a show that's fun and educational. You will meet our leading losers and learn the way they think. Take their tips and maybe you will see your name in ink. Empress Pat, aristocrat, she'll put out the welcome mat, so get in line and file in, soon you will be smiling, welcome to the Style Invitational. Welcome to another episode of You're Invited, the official podcast of the Style Invitational. Actually, it's not an official podcast, it's a very unofficial podcast, but we wouldn't have it any other way. Today we have a legend on the show, certainly the most recognizable name in the annals of the Style Invitational. You couldn't go anywhere near the, the Washington Post for the first five, ten years of the contest without seeing this person's name at the top of the winner of Chuck Smith, Woodbridge. There's even an article written about him called Chuck Smith, Woodbridge in the Washington Post. Welcome, Chuck. Pleased to have you on the program. Thank you. Let's just go back to 1993 when this thing all started. You started in week six. How did you stumble across Style Invitational, and what got you hooked? I just, I read the paper, and and uh, I saw the contest, and I said, yeah, well, maybe I could do this. And and so I sent in a few entries. I told my wife, I bet I could win this, and she sort of pashawed me. But I did. I won it on my first time, and I guess I had a couple other honorable mentions. I said, oh, it's sort of nice to be recognized. Uh, and then I was always sort of prolific, so I... And by then, it was just mail. And I would sometimes send in three things a week. What was your first win? Some sort of mystical gem or something. I can't even remember what it was now. But, uh, yeah, and, and the drawings really helped, too. Uh, the, I forget the name of the guy who did it, but um, I really oh, liked his It was a different guy. It, was, it wasn't Bob Stack, right? It was no guy. It was, yeah. It was another. I actually wrote him to see if he and I might want to do a um, a cartoon strip together, but he was not interested. Hey, while you mentioned the cartoon, I was reading an article about that article that I mentioned about you, and it said that you were ghostwriter for two comic strips, two well-known comic strips. Right. But you couldn't say at the time because you didn't want to embarrass the writer. I'll, I'll say one of them. I'm still a writer for the other. I used to do Dennis the Menace on Sundays, too, although it's sort of hard not to be funny to get something in. But the, the Hank Ketchum has since died, and his son has taken over and has sort of a tighter grip. He used to be the, the Sunday uh, uh, drawer who would do it, who make the choices. And I haven't had anything in there in some, some time ago. But Mother Goose and Grimm, I always liked that because it wasn't just the dog. He had other things about the devil or whatever the, the topic was. So I wrote him, a, I wrote the care of his publisher and I got a call at work one day. I guess I had a secretary in those days and they said, you know, uh, Mr. Peters called and here's the phone number and I called back and he said, oh, Chuck, yeah, hi. And I didn't know who he was. And, and, uh, and he says, I got your stuff. And I worked in HR, so I Send out a lot of stuff. And finally, I had to admit, I'm sorry, who is this? He said, <laughs> Peter. 
And they just had the Cartoon Society thing in D.C. And I said, oh, congratulations on your win. I tried to save it a little bit. The stuff I sent them didn't even have dog stuff, which was sort of stupid by me. But then I started doing uh, uh, a lot of submissions to him. And uh, there were times where I had 19 in a row. You know, days are mine. There are a couple days when this, well, the other strip is shoe, which I still write a little bit for. There were dailies. One, one day I had on the post, all three were my jokes. And wow. so I still keep my head in, hand in with shoe. And That's so cool. So Mother Goose and Grimm sounds like more your speed and shoe because they're, they're both, shoe is very cynical. From, I haven't read it in a while, but I know it's cynical. Mother Goose and Grimm can be a little bit oddball, but right. Dennis the Menace is straight tying Margaret's hair and or putting her pigtails and right. wells and it was hard to I I send it <laughs> Mr. Wilson. I maybe I'm a little too funny for him, but I just wrote a joke today for sure and I, I told my wife, I don't think it's gonna be done. But uh, the one person says, I didn't hear your phone call and the other one says did you have it on on vibrate? She says, No, it's a French phone. I had it on Frisson. And there's no way <laughs> That joke. I've been told by Shu that, that, you know, they didn't use me for a while. And I said, what's the problem? And they said, well, I don't think people out there understand your jokes. And too highbrow. <laughs> I loved that joke. I, I wrote it and I said, I'm just going to send it anyways. I send stuff on Fridays. You're well known for having done well with John Bobbitt jokes. And just the idea of you doing Dennis the Menace, <laughs> which is about as anodyne and, you know, as tame as possible. So tell me a couple of your Dennis the Menace strips, if you remember. Uh, wait a minute. Let me walk over here. I got one on the wall. Oh, okay. This is the, I did a, this is my first one. I'll read it to you. Dennis is talking about, someday I'd like to have a little brother. There's only so much you can blame on a dog. Now, isn't that a <laughs> Dennis Menace joke? That is, it's good. And just to give some context, it's Dennis the Menace. It's a nice drawing of Dennis the Menace talking to Joey. That's his name, right? And right. the dog Ruff is on the ground. So, yes. yeah. Wow. Multi you're multi-talented. Because I know you've written one-act plays, too, and a bunch of losers have gone out and seen you. I know I, I'm right. sorry to say I haven't done that, so I apologize. Yeah. But apparently it's good. Tell us about yeah, some of that. Uh, yeah, I, I used to be in community theater, and as a actor i basically played you know uh, judges and and businessmen and stuff i didn't have much of a range mm. but they needed men in community theater so i got parts i knew my lines and didn't mess up and i sort of knew what other people say in case they messed up but i, I went to a you know one act festival at, at northern virginia theater alliance and uh, i did and it went over very well I thought I bet I could do this. So I started writing some and you had to do it in those days. You, I got all the addresses of the community theaters around here and I started sending them in paper. You had to print them and send them and et cetera. The local castaways did one of my plays about a play that sort of falls apart. Apparently not a particularly original idea, but the audience liked it. And then I, I wrote some others, even sent one I was so happy with. I sent it to a play production place in New York and they, they put it on. And so mostly it's in community theaters and so on. I had one in Albuquerque last summer, a professional theater place called The Fusion, called The Seven. And I was one of seven out of uh, 700, I think they chose. And they it was a little bit unusual because it was a, about a woman 
meeting a man that's IT salesman in China. Now, one's French and he's American. They can't speak. So they sort of, through pigeon gestures, and, and she speaks in French a lot. And I said, no one's going to ever do this. But, but they picked that, and it's been done five other times. So Wow. Are these dramas? Are they comedies? Are um, they a mixture? Um, mainly comedies. I had one, one of my dramas did very well. That's the one that was done by uh, Samuel French. I was certain for the name a little bit ago. And, uh, you know, it started out as a comedy, but it turned out to be a drama about a guy, woman dying who is um, writing her autobiography. And she hires someone to play her son, a guy who was born about the same time. And he's supposed to keep people away and uh, uh, also help her write her autobiography. But it turns into more of a drama. He starts liking the, the, the caretaker and her, and eventually she dies with sort of a pseudo son. That was very That was only the second play I ever wrote. That sounds uh, like the flip side of Dear Evan Hansen, which I haven't I've, seen, but it kind of, you know, I, I know I've enough about it. Son who loves that play, and I took him to the Kennedy Center when that was still open. And I didn't like Evan Hansen. He does, he sort of assumes, he pretends this kid who died, who was sort of a nasty guy, uh, was his friend to get attention and so on. And, and he sort of hurts a lot of people. But he doesn't get any comeuppance for it at the end. I don't want to ruin the ending for anybody. But at the end, the Spoiler parents alert. <laughs> the, the parents don't say anything about it, and he gets away with it. I didn't like that at all. Hmm. That's yeah. That's not very satisfying. Have you tried writing uh, screenplays or television? Uh, no, I. I, or... I see. There's so many things on cable now and comedy shows. There's much more people out there just watching Seth Meyers. He sometimes features his writers, but I'm, I'm too old for that. But I, I think I, if I was in a writer's room, I think I could do that. Su Lin Chong, another uh, style invitational person. I, she knew someone at, someone who knew someone at Letterman. We sent a sample package together, but that never went anywhere. What are your favorite, what are your, what are the funniest shows on TV right now? I haven't asked anyone this uh, question before, but I'm curious to hear you're the legend. There's not, no, some of them are, are gone. I like Parks and Recreation. Uh, that's not on anymore. There's another one about a guy who needs a kidney. Be positive. I watched a couple of them, but it has a laugh track. And I hate shows with laugh track. I <laughs> visited my sister once and MASH was on. And it has this raucous laugh track. I just can't watch it with that. With, I thought MASH didn't have a laugh track. Or no, it did. It? I think maybe they took it off later. But, but uh, at least yeah. the station I watched, it had a laugh track. And I, I, I hate shows with laugh tracks. I think I'd make my own judgment. We're at a, like a golden age of television. There's so many series on, on HBO and um, Amazon Prime and, and Hulu and other stations that are really good. Like I've been watching The Queen's Gambit, and I oh, would I recommend that, that to you. Every, I have a play named that also. I'm before oh, this really? Play. It's about four chess pieces fighting another, sort of like a, two mobs that are fighting for the territory for the chessboard. And they're down to four each, and they're, they're bargaining. Well, I'll give you checkers if you, you know, this and that. And no, no. Well, that's that's the main prize because it's sort of the same thing. But they they don't want monopoly because the pieces couldn't operate there. The knight would jump off the board. Pawns can only go straight forward. Um, and and so now they don't want that. They don't want this kind of stuff. And yeah, but it, it, a lot of plays they only want for ten minute plays, anyways. They only want two or three characters because they figure, figure you can't fill out. But that's eight characters. So 
sort of unlikely that someone's going to do that play. But I love the Queen's Gambit. I recommended it to my wife. She wasn't inter- wasn't interested. And then a friend of hers told her about it and said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, you take my your friend's advice over mine. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the way it works. <laughs> if someone wants to read your the Queen's Gambit, do they have access? Is it on a website somewhere? Can we no, it? no. It, 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 I can send it to someone if, if they're interested. Uh, my email's uh, C-H-U-C-K-S-M-T-H at AOL.com, Smith without the I. So let's uh, let's get back to the style invitation. I want to ask you about some of the, the early days. You know, I, I came around, you maybe in like the mid 2000s the stuff like the ear that no one reads and the Pravda and the week week and the uncle or, and some of that stuff was sort of fading out when I got in and it was like, right. you know, I was reminded about it by Jeff Contempassus. He's like a real, he's an archivist. He loves that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I'm actually going to interview him for the next podcast. Where did that stuff come from? You know, it's like, how did that originate? I guess it was the czar, like the ear nobody reads it. it for those who don't know, the ear is the, the, the corner of the page and stuff. So they wanted to put stuff up there. I do remember one I had. It says the Washington Post, a uh, Pulitzer Prize returning newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> and the style was based on that who was uh, you who had lied in the Post about um, uh, heroin. Uh, uh, the baby that was a heroin. Yeah. Baby, right. yeah. And uh, nobody caught it. Such a good story that everybody said, well, you know, this is great. This will sell papers. I don't know if you did this one, but I'm in security. And one of the ears was Kevin Mitnick was here. And Kevin Mitnick, for people who don't, that's an old name now, but he was one of the early hackers. And people in the IT community, in the IT security community, were kind of up in arms like, oh my God, Kevin Mitnick hacked into the Washington Post. And they started writing about it until they, you know, they did some research and they realized, oh, it was just a joke. Hey, the ear got attention, you know, from major, uh, you know, major IT security organizations. Right. The, you mentioned the uncle. That was, yeah, they had sort of jokes that maybe owned an older person with not a good sense of humor would have. And I'd say, and the uncle prize. I've, I think they're green T-shirts. I still got a couple of those. You know, they, they had one contest where you, <laughs> they alleged, that uh, there was favoritism toward me in the in the the contest by the the czar that he was my mother or something, <laughs> and so they did a contest where you sent it in without saying who you were, sort of like now. And, and um, I remember I mailed one. I used my friend John O'Brien and mailed it from West Virginia because I was going someplace, and I used uh, a friend of my son's and so on, and I ended up winning that too. That's in this article that I referenced. And you you graciously said it was okay if I read some of this article, which is, depending on how you you look at it, it can be kind of mean spirited, but it's also it says more about the um, author than it does about you. This guy says, you know, he's the whole premise of this article is that he thinks you're going to be putting on it like a song and dance, and that you're the feature or the embodiment of humor, but you're just a regular guy who lives in the suburbs, and he expected you to be like the genie in Aladdin, you know, Robin Williams, hyperkinetic or something like that. And I'm more of a counterpuncher, yeah. Yeah, and he's, he's sort of focused on that the whole time. One of the lines says, who are you, mister? And what have you done with Chuck Smith Woodbridge? That's actually kind of funny. There's a word in this story that I never even heard before, which is sprachfuel, sprach, S-P-R-A. 
A-C-H. Yeah, that's the first time I ever heard it, too. G-E-F-U-H-L, and it's, I had to look it up, and it's something like spirit of a language or something, or the, what a language really means or something like that. He was looking for a hook in the story, and he's saying he sees a 15-year-old daughter holding a baby, because, oh, teenage pregnancy, tortured, is that the tortured source of Smith's humor? And she's, you say, she's babysitting. And he says, oh, even though you're really successful, you're very choosy about what contests you participate in. And he says in the article that you didn't even bother to enter to contests requiring double dactyls or Newt Gingrichisms. If you pull out the, the uh, sorry, the contest that you didn't participate in, your batting average is even higher. What contest do you like? And what's your favorite entry? You know, and I, I stopped for about five years. And I only started entering again recently um, because I thought the contests, uh, like a recent one with uh, Scrabble tiles and stuff like this, just take one word, switch it around, and turn it upside down. It, it just got to be too much. And so I, I stopped for a while. I've started again, but one's like uh, racehorses. I like those. Ask backwards. I like that one. Switching song titles, I, I didn't get anything on that, I don't think. Or is that still to come? And uh, I uh, think that's still to come, where you cut out the middle of okay. the song. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, I saw the ones on Thursday. Uh, what What was that contest? And uh, I looked it at was that. Advertisements in space, in prison, yeah. and football or something like that. Or a few. We'll get to I that. Yeah. Pretty good stuff. but I got yeah. shut out, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I got ink on both the, the horses where it was like 6,500 entries or whatever it was. So, you know, uh, that's pretty good because it's as competitive as I've ever seen it because we have the old masters like you, you know, you have the Michelangelo like you and uh, Brendan Berry and Chris Doyle or Da Vinci and uh, Raphael or whatever. And then you have the uh, Jeff Contem passes of the world and Raffman and, some of the other folks are more like Mark Rothko and Wittgenstein, whatever, you know, the modern masters. A lot of others in there. I don't mean to skip over anybody, but. We used to have a guy named Tommy Litz. Um, most of the people are college graduates. Tommy was a construction worker. He was rookie of the year one year. Wow. And I went to one of the brunches and he had this big, thick binder, color coded and stuff. And he sat down next to me and I did real well the first three years. And he said, uh, oh, yeah, you, you know, the early, the easy years, <laughs> which is not even a left-hand compliment. But uh, in some ways, a little bit easier. There were less people. You know, you've got some wonderful people and, who do some great stuff. I always uh, loved, love it, even if I don't enter. But in those days, and there is some truth to that. I, I would send in 100 entries a week and so on. And then I think they allowed facts for a while and so on. And then eventually, wisely so, they had to cut down to 25 per person. I have suggested to Pat that she might even cut down to 10 a person because she was saying that we had so, she had so many entries. And she said, no, 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 if I cut it down even further, I won't get the good entries. And so I said to her, but wouldn't people have to weed out the worst ones and you still get the best ones but no i i I'm, sometimes the stuff you send in you don't know what they'll like true I, I forget one of them uh i said geez i don't even remember doing that i look back <laughs> and it was my 25th and people you get together with style people and they say oh you didn't do this i hear this is my best one and i Always. think 20, yeah. that's, about, that's about the right number 
let's go to the part of the show now that I usually call what Mike liked and what the guest blessed, but I'm going to call it with you what Mike liked and what stuck with Chuck. Mm-hmm. That, so that's where we go over the winners of the week and we say whether we agree with Pat or not, or we pick the winners. And I don't, I don't think you had time really to look. No, um, I've got, which is the one? The advertisements. Uh, the, no, I don't have that one here. I've got well, that on paper next to my computer where I'm going to do two weeks or now or whatever it is. But uh, Well, you tell me what you think of these, and I'll tell you my winners. Okay. Um, the uh, contest was for product pitches from unlikely venues. Inspired by NASA's efforts to bring some buck some bucks by offering to shill SD Lauder moisturizer from the space station, we asked for some more ideas for ads from space or from prison, a football team, a kindergarten, or the White House. Tell me who the people are, too. I'd like to comment on the people, the ones I particularly like. Sure. I'll tell you who Pat picked first. Fourth place, from space. Female astronaut says, mine never sag up here, and yours won't sag down there. If you beat gravity with Playtex, with a Playtex bra, and that's Tom Witte from Montana. He's from my time frame. He was one of the very first. He has continued to be excellent for years and years. That's that's one of the more ones, instead of clever, that's more humorous, which is the kind of stuff I prefer. Yeah, me too. Third place from a kindergarten. Elmer's Paste. It's It's what's for lunch by Frank Mann. Washington, and that actually made my that made my number was my number four. That's a good one. Yeah, second place, and the winner of the plush urine beaker mascot. Start your day with breakfast cereal, the official cereal of the Washington football team, and that's by Jonathan Jensen, Baltimore, who does the theme song for this podcast. So I always have to say nice things because he <laughs> he turned that thing around really fast and really professionally. But, but that's good too. Uh, and the winner of the loose cannon, and this is from space. A great void. We make it happen. Xlax, and that's Kevin Dopart, Washington. Kevin, I, I only time I see him is those holiday parties. I don't know if I've ever talked to one of those. They're sort of off the table right now. But I remember standing next to him and telling him that he's better than me. Poems, anything. He's better than me. I'm good at certain things, but he's an all-around kind of guy. You'll have a place in the style invitational that no one else can replace. You're the, what do they call the original and best. So my four were, the fourth was that Elmer's Paste one. It's what's for lunch. Number three. And it's by Stephen Litterst from Newark, Delaware. Oh, here it is. This is for Space. Kohler is pleased to supply its new noise-canceling urinal for the International Space Station because in space, no one wants to hear your stream. I must say I like that for two reasons. One is because my mother, who is a copywriter, wrote the, the tagline for the Alien movie, in mm. space, no one could hear you scream. So It fits perfectly for, for that, and it was a very well-constructed joke. Excellent. We have the uh, assessment from the professional. My number two was from, I can't even read. Oh, it's Jeff Hazel from San Antonio. This is from the White House. Is your child impulsive, unable to focus, out of control? Ask your doctor if Ritalin can help. (laughs) And my number one is by, I always pick him 
So Duncan Stevens, who was an earlier guest on this program, it's also from space for a brothel. Open the bod pay door. That's my number one. And I like metathesis. That was a little confusing. I think that's a little confusing. I really like spoonerisms or metathesis or whatever you call it. And I like 2001 Space Odyssey. So well done, Duncan. I picked yours as number one again. I remember new people used to come to the brunches and they were afraid we're going to be sarcastic and nasty and cutting. And they were relieved to find they were just general nice people. I thought you could be Peter Benchley and uh, Bennett Cerf and whoever else was in the Algonquin uh, <laughs> Roundtable. Dorothy, Dorothy Parker. Dorothy Parker. There you go. And yeah, I was kind of afraid, too. The first time I went to something, I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be a battle of the wits. But everybody was very friendly. I remember Roy Ashley came up to me and said, hey, I like your stuff. And I think Pi Snelson said hi and stuff. They put me at ease pretty quickly. Yeah, Pi was one of the nice ones who used to go to my place. Yeah, she's she's a sweetheart. Anything else uh, before we wrap up? One joke, I really was glad I got in there. And they're talking about uh, what is it, uh, secret, secret pleasures. And uh, you know, who's the one who uh, accused widows of 9-11 people? Um, Ann Coulter. Uh, and and I said, uh, secret pleasure, the Zapruder tape. <laughs> which I was so glad to get that indirect hitting back at someone I just God. Well, Chuck, uh, we got to wrap it up now, but it's been a real pleasure. It's been a lot of fun, great stories. And I, I liked uh, experiencing your rapier wit personally. I forget what comedy show is this, this you know, I like his rapist wit. And I'm not certain. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again. And thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thanks again to Jonathan Jensen for the theme song and Gil Glass for audio production. Word freaks, humor geeks, folks whose tongues are in their cheeks. Welcome to the style invitational. Misfits, wags and wits, folks who laugh at naughty bits. Here's a show that's fun and educational. You will meet our leading losers and learn the way they think. Take their tips and maybe you will see your name in ink. Empress Pat, aristocrat, she'll put out the welcome mat. So get in line and file in, soon you will be smiling. Welcome to the style invitational.